You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. Well, hello, church. Good to see everyone today. God is good, isn't he? Just put your hands together and let's just praise the Lord. He is so good. I'll tell you what, this is way better than preaching to three cameramen. I just want you to know that. It's way better. I'm enjoying church so much, and it's been a great, great blessing. I want you to put your hands together for someone else also. We have an entire media ministry team. It's made up of a lot of people, and they're making this possible. Everything you're seeing on the screens will be online. This is being recorded right now. So can you just put your hands together and just say thank you so much? <laughs> We have people in the production room over here to, to my left in that dark room. You don't even see them, but there's four people behind there uh, right now, and they are, they are making sure that everyone sees this, and uh, they'll be putting this together. So there's people behind the scenes that you don't even see that are serving the Lord. So I appreciate them so much. And um, let me say welcome to everyone who's online. If you're eating your bowl of cereal right now, God loves you. And uh, not that any of you were guilty of that, right? Uh, eating your bowl of cereal or watching, watching the service. Well, let's pray. Uh, God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. We humble ourselves before you. And God, I just pray for your anointing. We need to hear a word from you, God. We gather together because we thirst for you, Lord. So quench every soul, I pray, every person who's watching this online and who's here in person, I pray they encounter you, Lord, in a life-changing way. In Jesus Christ's name, we pray, and the church said, amen. amen. If you're online, you can type amen in the chat area right now. So this has been a crazy time, hasn't it, guys? It's been a crazy time, and uh, I believe God is going to do a beautiful, beautiful thing. So um, I want you to hear this first. I want you to hear that God wants you to experience the best life possible. And you just take a hold of that. God wants you to experience the best life possible, a life that only God can give. And he's so good. He wants you to experience the grace, his grace. He wants you to experience a clear conscience. He wants you to experience new life, new joy, new peace, something that only God could give. Do you want that kind of life? Do you really want that kind of life? We're reading a story today in the book of Ezra about a time when, when, uh, when, when God was offering it to them and, and they didn't take it the first time and the second time is quite a bit different. But I want to start off by telling you that um, um, I used to work out quite a bit, and I went to my cousin's house to go and um, visit him and, and the guys, his roommates there, and I went, they converted their garage into a workout area. So it has like some free weights and stuff like that. And, and I grew up playing sports, so I always did free weights. So they had a they had a, a, like a dumbbell across getting ready to do like squats. And um, I saw it, and it was like around 450 pounds or something like that. And, and, uh, and <laughs> my, my, Matt, my cousin, says, I was about to do it. And, he, and then he goes, nah, you don't need to do that. You're just a pastor. Isn't that horrible? He says horrible things to me. I can't believe he said that. He hurt my feelings. So um, Nate Cotta was there. They just happened to take a picture of me when I went ahead and did the squats. I don't normally show off my body like this, but I thought... <laughs> I'll show you guys. I'm, that's the reason why I keep a shirt on. I don't want to be a stumbling block to anyone. So that's why I do that. So I went ahead and, and squatted a few times. 
and I, like three times or something like that. And then when, when we was up here in the top, you know what I did? I decided to, to show off. And right, I went ahead and did this number just like this, just like this. That was just stupid. I'm just, <laughs> so as soon as I did that, I put it back and they helped me, Nate helped me put it back on there. And that night, my back, lower back just knotted up. And uh, I had no idea how many times you use your lower back muscles. Do you realize how often you use your lower back muscles? I was in bed and I couldn't even pick up my feet like literally an inch off of, up above the bed because it was hurting my lower back. So for the next three days, God just reminded me that I have pride that needs to be surrendered to God. <laughs> and I was just dumb to do that. And I, has anybody ever done a stupid thing? Please raise your hand, even if you haven't. God bless you. All the other ones are lying. And, and, and all of us have done that. So, so I learned my lesson here. I was like, why in the world am I doing that? It's because that, it's that me, that person inside of me that if, if you say, I bet you can't do that, there's something inside of me that wants to do it. Does anybody else get motivated when someone tells you, I bet you can't do that? That's totally me. So anyway, I'm still growing in Christ here as well. The Israelites, the Israelites let pride get in the way. So I want to share with you this phenomenal, phenomenal story. Um, a lot of people don't know about the exile or kind of know where it fits in. So I want to give you a little timeline here. This is what we're looking at. See, in the Old Testament, you see from creation to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then you, of course, have the exodus and, and the conquest of the promised land, judges, and the kings, and there's the exile, a little suitcase there in the middle. So you can see the placement of the exile is, is literally right before the New Testament. So give you a little idea of what's happening here is the exile happened. Um, it, it, when, when it happened, they were exiled from their, their, their promised land, Jerusalem, because of their sin, because of their pride. They were exiled, and God allowed this to happen. In fact, he prophesied last week. I talked about Deuteronomy chapter 28. It was a warning that if you sin against God, that he will allow foreign people to take you to a foreign land and, and, and go to this place called Babylon. So that's what happened. So they were exiled to Babylon for 70 years. It happened in 586 B.C. About 50,000 Jews were exiled, just under 50,000. Now, that from Babylon to Israel, or to Jerusalem, it's about 900 miles. So if you walk from, you know, let's just pretend that's about from here to Phoenix, Arizona. That's approximately, let me get, get my numbers right, it's about 880 miles. So if you were just to, you know, say, hey, let's go to a walk, take a walk to Phoenix, it, it, you know, it would take close to four months. It would take a while to get there, and that's how far away they were from their homeland. So you need to also understand something, that when this exile took place, there were three waves that it took place. You know, Babylon came in, and there were three times Babylon came into Jerusalem and got these people out of, out, of, out of them. And then what happened was when they returned from exile, there were also three waves. So there were three waves to, to depart Jerusalem and three returns from exile. And you can see there were 70 years in captivity, 70 years to think about their decisions, 70 years to think about why didn't we obey God. And then they start slowly trickling in, slowly trickling in. So when they first came, you know, when you look at the book of Ezra, um, and just keep that up for a little bit, when you look at Ezra and, and you see these, these different waves right here, you see that Ezra really is broken up into two different, two different eras. 
Ezra, <coughs> the first return, was 538 BC, and it was led by this guy named Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. And, and that's Ezra chapters 1 through 6. And that's really about rebuilding the temple. Chapters 1 through 6 is about rebuilding the temple. The next section of Ezra, which is the rest of it, chapters 7 through 10, is led by Ezra himself, and it's about spiritual reformation. Spiritual reformation. And then the third return that you saw in that picture was led by a guy named Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was about building the walls of Jerusalem. So you may have heard that story. So the book of Ezra, you can look at it from 538 B.C. to 432 B.C. is what it covers. In fact, the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah used to be one book at one point. And in fact, many scholars believe Ezra also wrote First and Second Chronicles. And he wrote, if you read the last chapter of Second Chronicles and the first chapter of Ezra, it just flows beautifully. In fact, the last few words in the Second Chronicles it almost look like it's word for word repeated in Ezra chapter 1. So now they're coming back from exile. They've spent 70 years thinking about their decision. Does anybody like, need to learn the hard way? Anybody in the room like that? You just need to learn the hard way. You know, I, I, I coach my, I coach, I, I'm raising my kids and I'm always telling them, learn from my mistakes. You make new mistakes. Don't make my mistakes. Someone once said, a wise person learns from other people's mistakes. But a foolish person wants to make their own mistakes and the same mistakes. So if I can learn from someone's mistakes, I want to learn from your mistakes, and let's, you learn from my mistakes, and we'll just all be better off. So Israel, they've been exiled in 70 years, and now they're starting to come back in three different waves, and they think differently. They think differently. Have you ever feel like you have a do-over in life, and you go back, and you're like, okay, this is going to be different. I'm going to be different. It's like when I, when I do any marriage counseling, if I talk to someone who's been married before, and now they're getting remarried on number two or number three or whatever it is, guess what? They, they learn from marriage number one, and they're a little bit different. They're better on marriage number two, hopefully, and marriage number three, and they're learning, you know what? I, I've been through this before. Or you, you were working someplace, and you're like, okay, I, 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 I used to have a job, and I learned a lot of things about how I should how I should respect my boss and how I should work. And now you're in job number two. And job number two, you're thinking, I'm not going to make the same mistake. It's wise person. We learn from our mistakes. So here in the book of Ezra, the Israelites are coming back. 70 years. And they're learning some things here. They're learning some things. The name Ezra, it's a shortened name of the Hebrew name Azariah, which means the Lord helps me. That's what his name is. You need to understand Aaron is a descendant, excuse me, Ezra. Ezra is a descendant of Aaron, which is a royal priest. He is a priest. He's also a scribe. Now, scribes, what they did was they just transferred God's word on a parchment paper, transferred God's word from one to another. And you, they were incredibly meticulous. It was a demanding position. They would literally count each line, and, and all the words had to match up, you know, horizontally and vertically. They all had to match up, and they were so careful about transferring God's word 
from one parchment paper to another parchment paper. They were known to be lovers of God's word. It's a little bit different when you look in the New Testament. Scribes pop up, but a lot of times they're associated with another people group that most of us hear negative things about, scribes and Pharisees. In the Old Testament, scribes were honored. They were revered because they knew God's word, and they spent their whole life transcribing the word of God. That was Ezra. That was Ezra. So now the Israelites are coming back. And just like us, we're probably looking at life a little bit differently. We have a mask in our glove compartment now, and, and we think differently. Maybe you still wipe down the groceries, or I don't know. Or maybe you're in the habit of calling restaurants and saying, is there any dining in? Okay, it's to go only, okay. You know, whatever it is, just life has changed, and we're all wrapped up in this different life. Now, chapter 3, verse 1, is the verse that, it's like the main verse today, and I'm going to read it to you. Here it is, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, in early autumn, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled in Jerusalem with a, what church? With a unified purpose. Another version, that same verse right there, says this, the people gathered together as one man. There's this incredible unity in chapter 3, verse 1. Why is there unity? You know, in our world, there's different things that can bring unity. Watching an unfair, unjust video on YouTube can bring the country together, right? We can see that and say, that's just wrong. That's just wrong. I talked about that last week. Let me tell you guys again, I'm not white, okay? I'm not white, and we love every color here in this church. We love every color. I believe the church is, it should be the, the most integrated place in the world because all of us need the grace of God. All of us need the grace of God. doesn't matter what you look like. doesn't matter at all. So here you see that they came together with a unified purpose. And what I want you to do is I want, what I want to do is I want to show you what happens in chapter 1 and chapter 2 that brings them to chapter 3, verse 1, that says they're all together. They learned some lessons, and I'm going to share with you three lessons that they learned. When they came back after exile, they're coming back, and they're not going to repeat their same mistakes. They remember their, their mistakes, and they're coming back, and they're saying, there's no way we'll make new mistakes, but we learned three big lessons. We're not going to mess up again. You know, sometimes we don't realize how good we got it until we lost it, right? Sometimes we don't realize the life we have until we lost it. And we think, gosh, I had a really good life. I have a really good life. Here they are. They're coming back. Here are the lessons. Here's Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. It starts off like this. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, now Babylon was the, the, the empire that took over took over Jerusalem and took Judah or the Israelites out and they exiled them. But now there's a new, a new kid on the block, <laughs> a new king of the hill. And he's the king of this massive territory called Persia. And this, this guy, King Cyrus, 
He's the guy. It says, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. He stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and to send it throughout his kingdom. So this is known as the proclamation of King Cyrus. That's what this is known. King Cyrus is not a Jew. He's not from Jerusalem. He's not part of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His bloodline is a Gentile. But God stirred his heart. You know, God can move any heart. He could move any heart. He's so good at that. 150 years before this verse was written, before King Cyrus is stirred, Isaiah prophesied 150 years before this happened. Isaiah prophesied and said, when I say to Cyrus, he is my shepherd, he will certainly do as I say. He will command, he will command rebuild Jerusalem. He will say, restore the temple. This is what God is saying through the prophet Isaiah, 150 years before King Cyrus actually does what he does. Actually, he does what he does. It's interesting. There was an interview that was done with uh, our current Israeli prime minister. His name is Benjamin Netanyahu. And this was during the time when Donald Trump announced that the U.S. Embassy in Israel would move to the Tel Aviv, or move, excuse me, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And this is what our current Israeli, I'm saying our, the Israeli prime minister said in 2018. He said, I want to tell you that the Jewish people have a long memory. So we remember the proclamation of the great king, Cyrus the Great, Persian king, 2,500 years ago, he proclaimed that the Jewish exiles in Babylon would come back and rebuild our temple in Jerusalem. Said in 2018 by the current Israeli prime minister. And, and Israel, Jews are known to have long memories. That's why their, 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 their records, their genealogies are so good. They're known for this. So the prayer is, King Cyrus is this guy. And God uses a pagan king named Cyrus. Now, the Jews essentially were living in pagan land. They were essentially spiritual slaves. They weren't allowed to go to their church. They weren't allowed to worship. And no, undoubtedly, they wanted to be set free. And let me just say this. Sometimes the problem is part of the plan. Sometimes the very thing that you're asking God to remove out of your life, God will use in your life for his purpose. Sometimes the very thing that you don't expect a miracle, you don't expect anything to happen good from that person or that thing or that job or that situation, sometimes God will use a King Cyrus in your life and you did not expect it. God's plan is so much bigger and greater than our plan. He's so good. He's so good. You never know. Reminds me when I was uh, dating Grace and and uh, when and we talked about this last night, we had someone over our house, and, and, and during those days, I was far from God. So my mother-in-law and father-in-law used to pray that I would go away. So they would say that prayer. Because you know what? I'm looking back at my, who I was back then, I would probably would have said the same prayer, to be honest with you. I, I was just far. And um, guess who lives in whose basement today? <laughs> so I remind my mother-in-law all the time, hey, remember you used to pray for you? you know, that little... I still got a little flesh inside of me that I'm working out here. Let's just being honest with you. But I want you to see, to see this. God sees every season in your life before it happens. You're saying, well, pastor, I don't understand that. You're not God. It's okay. We have free will, moral volition. But God also sees the seasons that will happen in your life. Isaiah prophesied it 150 years before it happened. 
God used Isaiah. See, God knew before it even happened. God knew what would happen in Wuhan. God knew what would happen to your job. God knew what your financial position would look like. God knew that this was going to be a test for you. God knew that he would say that or she would say that. God knew that you would be insulted. God knew that you would get that call. He's just a big God. And he sees every season. Sometimes, many times, you know what he's doing today? He's preparing you for that test that you're going to go through tomorrow. You may not see it right now, but God is strengthening your legs right now. And he wants you to learn to walk by faith because what's going to happen down the road is going to require a great faith to walk. A great faith. Verse 2 says this. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, and look at that bold, let's just read it out loud, the God of heaven. This is King Cyrus talking. Not Abraham, not Isaac, not Jacob. This is not a prophet. This is not Isaiah. This is not Jeremiah. This is not Ezra, not Nehemiah. This is a pagan king, and he calls the Lord the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Now, we don't know what happened in the chambers of King Cyrus, but something happened inside of King Cyrus. He had this conviction, like this was his mission. I'm to be, he says, he's talking about himself. He's making it personal. He's saying, I'm to build this temple in Jerusalem. The guy's like, you know, 900 miles away. Who knows if he's ever even been in Jerusalem? It was burnt down during the days of Nebuchadnezzar. It was burnt down. And now he's saying, God has appointed me to build a temple in Jerusalem. And he calls him the God of heaven. Now, I believe the Lord used King Cyrus to teach even Israel, to remind them of who God is. He's the God of heaven. He's the God of the stars. Have you noticed, maybe it's just because there's fewer cars out there or something like that, how clear the skies have been at night? It's beautiful. You should look up. Last night, we looked up, and we we went for a late-night walk, and it was just beautiful. And King Cyrus says he's the God of heaven. This, he's saying this, and in his land, they worship many gods. But he's saying he's the God of gods. There's nobody else like him. And here's the first lesson that I believe the Israelites learned. They would never again see God with a lesser view. Never again. Never again. See, the Israelites had a poor view of God. They had a poor view of God. If they had a view of God as the God of heavens, they wouldn't have been disobedient and unfaithful when they had the chance. But they had a lesser view of God. Who is God to you? Who is God to you? Have you downsized God to a place that is manageable for you? Is God the God of comfort in your life? Who is God to you? Is he a God of justice? Is he a God of righteousness? Is he the all-seeing God? Does he see everything? 
Is, is he a, a God who, who is full of grace and mercy? Who is God to you? We read that we, we heard this podcast this week in, a, in our staff meeting from Brian Houston, and I wanted to share a quote from, from him to you. He said this, Who you believe God is determines everything. It affects who we believe God blesses. It affects how we relate to God. It affects how we treat others. It affects how you see yourself. Everything is hinged on who is God to you. Even to the point, reading Scripture, if you have something, a pre-understanding of who God is, and you read Scripture, guess what? There's a very good chance what you read is going to validate how you see God. You could actually look at God in a way that you shouldn't. What you should do is spend time with an open heart and say, God, show me who you are. Let the word of God speak to you about who he is. We even come to church and we worship. And it's all dependent on who is God. You come and you worship and how you treat others. Do you hold grudges? Are you bitter? Are you unforgiving? Do you do things at night that nobody sees? Are you a different person on the weekends? And whatever, how you see God is everything. It's everything. How you see forgiveness is tied to how you see God. How you see holiness is tied to how you see God. How you see conflict, how you see giving is all tied to how you see God. Who is God to you? I like what David said in Psalm chapter 34. He said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. He's a good God. Undoubtedly, he's a good God. He's also a God of justice as well. I've been working on uh, someone, I'm not going to tell you who, but this person doesn't come to Thorn Creek Church. And uh, I've invited her husband to come to church. And the first time I invited her husband, he said, nope, I'm never going to go. I said, all right. <laughs> so I know him and his wife, and, and I've just been loving on them. Husband has a cancer. And one, one, one day, I was mowing my lawn, and I happened to notice down the street, fire trucks, ambulance, and they were rushing into his house. And I got on my knees <clears throat> right by my trash cans outside. And I said, Lord, have mercy on him. Heal him, Lord. Give him, give him another chance. Heal him. That was my prayer. Didn't know anything, anything happened. <clears throat> and um, I, uh, I, didn't, I didn't hear anything, but I, I thought, you know, I'm going to mow their lawn because I know they've been through a lot, so I mowed their lawn. And while I was mowing their lawn, I got a phone call that was extremely discouraging. And I was in the middle of loving them, and I got a discouraging phone call. And it reminds me, you can, be, you can do good things, and in the middle of doing good things, the enemy will attack you and try to discourage you. It's like you can be serving at church, and then something happens, and you think, God, I, I'm doing a good thing. Why would this happen to me? Well, welcome to the club. That's what the apostles experienced. That's what the early church experienced. If you're not being attacked by the enemy, there might be something wrong in your life. Because when, when you're doing the right things and you're serving God, you can expect temptations. You can expect, when, 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 you know, you want to live your life in such a way that when you wake up and your feet hit the ground, the devil says, oh, crap, he's awake. You know what I mean? You want to live like that. 
So I mowed the lawn, and I didn't hear anything, and I was mowing my lawn then, and two weeks had passed, and, and the, the mom came over, and she says something like, um, I think you're the culprit, aren't you? Did you mow my lawn? And I said, yeah, yeah, I did. I said, I just wanted to love on you guys. I care about you. I've invited them to come to church so many times. They always tell me no. <clears throat> and she said, well, thank you. And I said, I've always asked your husband to come to church, and he says no. I said, like, what's, going, what's up with that? Tell me. Someone was going. She goes, well, here's what happened. When we were young, many, many, many years ago, they were attending the church. I'm not even going to tell you the denomination. But this denomination had a strong view of a, of a personal decision they made. And they told her what she did was unabsolvable. In other words, unforgivable. Well, that stayed with them. It stuck with them. Sometimes words stick with us, right? That stuck with them. And from that point on, they said, we do not need church. We do not need God. Now, <clears throat> I know what, they, what she told me, and I told her, I just want you to know God's a good God. And God, I told her what happened. I told her how I knelt down and I prayed for her. And I told her the whole, told her the whole story. And I said, God's a good God. He wants, he, he loves you. And I said, I said I, they know I'm a preacher. And I said, just let me say this. I'm not trying to preach to you, but I, I, I told her, I, I told her a little bit about my story. And I told her, I, I told her the way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And he loves you and he wants you to experience his grace and his mercy. Tears started rolling down her cheeks. And I said, anytime you, you need me to talk to you or your husband, let me know. It just so happened the husband came back from the hospital, and they said, we don't know what happened, but his cancer is gone. We don't know what happened, but his cancer is gone. And inside, I'm thinking, I know what happened. I know what happened. Ask me. It's not because of me. It's because of his grace and mercy. He's a good God. This God does not want anyone to perish or go to hell. He doesn't want any of that. You being here right now is evidence that we have a God of second chances. Look what happens here. So they learn something. They learn about who God is, and we're not going to look at God with a lesser view. The second thing they learn is related to Ezra chapter 2, verses 61 and 62. Three families of priests, Hobiah, Hakaz, and Berzillai, also returned. This Berzillai had married a woman who was a descendant of Barzillai of Gilead. Okay, that's the wrong side of the tracks. And he had taken her family name. They searched for their names in the genealogical records, but they were not found. So they were disqualified from serving as priests. Disqualified. See, the priests that didn't have their birth certificate that proved they were born from the right lineage, so they were disqualified from serving by Israel. Why? Do you see how Israel's different now? They're coming back and they're like, okay, this is, you know what? We found out there's some priests here that may not truly be from the right lineage and they may not be able to serve. So they have a choice. Do we let it go or do we take a stand? 
And here's, here's their, their second lesson. They would never again go through the motions. Never again go through the motions. They saw it and they said, nope, that's not right. Here's what you see. You see through this evidence of a changed mind. You see Israel coming back out of Babylon, 70 years of exile, and they're coming back. And all they're doing is getting ready for church. They're setting up church and they're making sure everyone is there and the right people are there. And they're looking at these priests and they're saying, we're not gonna let it go because we want God's blessing. We want his favor. So we're not gonna allow that to happen. It's like those moments in your life when you think, I'm not sure if I should be doing this. I'm not sure if God would, would, would want me in this relationship. I'm not sure if God would want me to treat my body this way. I'm not sure if God would want me to look at this. And then there's that point, that line where if you change your mind, oh, the power of a changed mind. Because we could internally convince ourselves that we're one person, but our actions will say something else. You, do, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Church, anybody with me? You can you'd say stuff about your internal, your intentions, and you can say, yeah, I'm this person. I'm a good person. Yep, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm all this. But outwardly, you're doing something else. But there comes a point when the power of the will is greater. And the power of the will says, I'm not going to allow that in my life anymore. And there's nobody around you it's you and God. And you say, that's unacceptable in my life. I want the blessings of God in my life. I want the favor of God in my life. I want his will for my life. I'm not going to allow that in my life anymore. Do you know what I'm talking about? I could preach till my heart is out, till I'm blue, I'm brown. You'll never see me turn another color except black. But I can preach like that. And, and you know what? You can walk away with your own mind made up. Some of you don't need another church service. You just need to decide on whether or not you want the blessing of God in your life. Nothing more powerful. Don't you find it interesting when Jesus ran across the guy who's in the pool of Bethesda and this guy is 38 years right beside this pool of Bethesda and he's all lame and he needs to get the pool of Bethesda. And you know the question Jesus asked him? When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Doesn't that just sound like a dumb question that Jesus asked? 38 years. Why would he ask that question? Here's the truth. Some of you don't want to get well. speaking truth in love. Right here, guys, right here. God looked at the Israelites when they were living here and they convinced themselves they weren't doing anything wrong, weren't living any way that was dishonoring to God. And God said, enough, and allowed this empire named Babylon to exile them. till so they had some time to think about who God is and was. And then when they came back, you see a different Israel. They come back and they say, we're not going to allow that. And they tell these priests, you're out. Maybe it was a tough conversation. Maybe they were arguing and saying, no, 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 we've been priests all this time. And they say, nope, nope. We're going to err 
on obedience. We're not going to err that God is a reasonable God and he can look over this. Sometimes we do that. God, look at the other 95% of my life. Don't look at the 5%. I'm not going to go to hell because of 5%. Look at the 95% of my life, God. And God says, I want all of you. I want all of your affection. I want you to know me as Lord and God and King. It's an incredible life lesson for us. And here it is. Don't ever sacrifice God's blessing for your life because you don't want to do the tough thing. Don't ever sacrifice God's blessing for your life because you don't want to do the tough thing. It's tough to say, maybe we got to move out. I got to move out. It's tough to say, I got to leave this job. It's not good for me. Those are tough decisions. I got to get out of this relationship. That's a tough decision, especially if you've been in it a long time. But God wants you and the life he has for you is beautiful and it's good. And he wants you to be bold enough and strong enough and courageous enough. And he sees you do that, he'll help you. They got to a point in their relationship with God when they just stopped playing. They ain't playing anymore. You know what I'm saying? And look what happens. Here's the last lesson. Chapter three, verses two through three. Check this out. Then Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, joined his fellow priest in Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, with his family in rebuilding the altar of the God of Israel. They wanted to sacrifice burnt offerings on it as instructed in the law of Moses, the man of God. So they're, they're following the rules here. They're saying, this is what we need to do. We need to build an altar and we need to do this. And, and why in the world are they wanting to build an altar? Well, the altar is the place where their sin meets the grace of God. And they recognize they need forgiveness for their sins. That's why the altar is such an important piece. And they recognize, so they're working on building this altar, but check the, you have to remember, when the Israelites came back, when they left Babylon after 70 years, and they're going back to Jerusalem, the people living in Jerusalem area is a mix. You have Samaritans living there now. You have these non-Jews everywhere that's living there now. And look at verse three. They wanted to build this altar even though the people were afraid of the local residents, they rebuilt the altar at its old site. Wow. Did you see that? <laughs> even though the people were afraid of the local residents, they rebuilt the altar at its old site. Then they began to sacrifice burnt offerings on the altar to the Lord each morning and evening because they knew that's what God wanted. And here's the third lesson. They would never again let something come between them and God. Never again. And let me just say this to you. Most of the time, obedience to God requires you to walk through that door of fear. Most of the time. Obedience to God requires you to walk through that door of fear. And maybe that door of fear is the fear of the unknown. Maybe it's a fear of you know, the uncertainty of life. 
or a fear of being alone or a fear of being rejected or a fear of whatever it is. There's always this door of fear that God is saying, I want you to go through it. I know you're afraid, but if you open the door, I'll be there and you won't have to worry about anything. There's always that door. Let me say this. Nothing brings unity like repented hearts that have been interlocked by God's grace. Nothing brings unity like repented hearts that have been interlocked by God's grace. You know, the strongest marriages are those where husband and wife have both tasted the grace of God in their life. Those are the strongest marriages. The strongest friendships are those who both souls have experienced the grace of God in their life. The strongest churches are those who people have come together and we just recognize we're just different colors. We're like a box of M&Ms, but we've all experienced the grace of God. None of us are better than anyone else. We all need the grace of God. Their view of church has changed. You do realize church and Ace Hardware are not at the same level, right? You do, I mean, church and Costco is not at the same level. Church and Amazon is not at the same level. Church opening up and whatever it is, the ball opening up is not at the same level. The church is a sacred organization. Jesus Christ is the CEO and head of it. This is a place where people hear the word of God and we prepare souls for today and eternity. There's nothing like the power of the church. Nothing like it. Nothing like the power of the church. Glory to God. It's way better than Costco, although I like going to Costco every once in a while. They have great sales. But here you get to feast on something, the Word of God, and it quenches the soul, and God loves you, and God cares about you, and He wants all of you. You want some of that? The Israelites came back from exile. They're like, I remember who I used to be. Bitter. You ever know anyone who can just carry a grudge? You know anyone like that? They got like two or three PhDs in carrying grudges. You know anyone like that? You know anyone who's just like angry and full of anger and, or whatever it is? They came back from Babylon and they said, we're doing it different this time. No way. We're not going to take the grace of God for granted. We're not gonna let anything come between us and our worship for God. And we sure as heck are not going to be worshiping any other false gods. No way. I know what, where that goes. I know where it takes me and I'm not going to go back to exile. They're different. And because of those decisions that they made, they come together, Ezra chapter 3, verse 1, united with a purpose as one man. Here's my prayer, guys, that in the midst of all this, that a spiritual revival just breaks out in every church for the glory of God. This country needs a spiritual revival. We don't need a new president. New presidents are great, that's fine. But revival is going to come from the spirit of God. You can't legislate compassion. You can't make a law for people to love people of the other color. It comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. It comes from a changed heart. And you look at people different because Jesus has got a hold of your life. That's where revival happens. It's the spirit of God and it's people humbling themselves and saying, God, I want all of you. I'm gonna give all of you to myself. Here's a crazy thought. Here's a crazy thought. 
this world has yet to see a soul that is utterly committed to God, that is willing to do whatever God wants. You want to be the first? There's a few out there willing to do whatever God wants. I'm done, guys. <clears throat> Maybe you just need to, I want to invite you to turn to Jesus today. If you're checking us out online, you can turn to Jesus right where you're at. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. God, I've done my best to preach this beautiful message, Lord. I'm trusting your spirit of God has just moved here, God. And I sense your spirit, Lord, and I thank you for your spirit. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Holy Spirit, we love you. Maybe you need to say this prayer. Maybe you need to ask Jesus in your heart. Right where you're at, you can say this prayer. Just say, Jesus, I ask you into my heart. I ask you to be my Lord and Savior, my God, my forgiver of my sins, because I've sinned and I need your grace. I choose to become a Christian right now. Be Lord of my life. I want to learn from my mistakes. So be Lord of my past, present, and future. Others of you, maybe, maybe you just need to tell God, God, I'm not going to think less of you anymore. I'm going to honor you as the God of heaven. God, I'm not going to let anything come between you and me anymore, God. I'm willing to do the tough thing for your favor and for your blessing. Help me, Lord. Thank you, God. God, I just pray a special blessing on these people here and those watching online. Bless them, God. Bless them, Lord. As they turn to you, Lord, with all their hearts, provide for them. Keep them healthy, God. bless them, I pray in Jesus' name. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church give.